Yes, indeed, we do need a revolution. We need a real health revolution. Uh, and it begins right here, right now, one conversation at a time on an informed life radio, 1150 AM KKNW. One of the reasons why I chose that particular song for the opening theme of this show is it's talking about revolution, but a revolution of love, a, a revolution of light. And, you know, when you're, when you're trying to present information that is going against the grain with, you know, or, or what is out there being pushed as the way to go, there can be so much friction, tension, um, anger, frustration. It can put you in a very dark place. And it can put you in a position where you consider people who don't agree with you as your enemy. And that is a very scary, dangerous place to live. And it, it's not useful either. I've kind of been on this journey a long time of um, exploring and educating about the need for um, pharmaceutical reform, vaccine safety reform, industry reform, um, public policy reform. And I've really had to find a place within myself of understanding that the people I disagree with, for the, most of them, not all of them, but the most of the people I disagree with are good, honest, earnest, intelligent people who truly believe their path is right. And so when we go forward to educate, it's so important to hold within our hearts room for understanding and grace so that dialogue can happen and you know facts can be conveyed i think that's that's really what we need to hold on to and we just you know had the big election tuesday and of course at the national level we have we don't know yet there's you know a lot of interesting things might unfold moving forward here in washington state um, status quo was pretty much maintained. We still have the same governor who is still approaching COVID with um, sort of from the fear stance, fear it, hide from it, mask from it, wait for a vaccine, <laughs> which as my listeners know, um, is not the stance that I advocate. Uh, so really that education needs to continue to happen, presenting the science that is um, either being censored or dialed back or not brought forward by the media and others so that we can educate and get that real um, scientific dialogue happening. But it has to come from that place of, of belief that the person you're communicating with is a good person, right? Okay, so a revolution of light, a revolution of love, uh, real health revolution is what we're, we're uh, looking for. And today's guest is a, an amazing uh, gentleman. He's an attorney. His name is Greg Glaser. Um, and he's a vaccine rights attorney with a litigation and transactional law background. He's a graduate of UCLA and the University of San Francisco. As a lawyer, he is committed to protecting the fundamental right of informed consent and is devoted to helping doctors write medical exemptions to vaccination in compliance with SB 277, which is the law in California where he resides. Um, and he is the general, let's see what, I'm, I think I'm gonna bring him on so he can explain his exact position with this wonderful organization, the Physicians for Informed Consent. So welcome, Greg, to An Informed Life Radio. 
Thank you, Bernadette. It's so nice to be here. Yes, I'm the, I'm the general counsel for Physicians for Informed Consent. We are a nonprofit organization in America that is devoted to uh, providing data on infectious disease and vaccines. So we compare the risk of the disease to the risk of the vaccine and publish our results with impeccable sources. All of our citations are always the most authoritative. And you can find all of it at physiciansforinformedconsent.org. Yeah, you guys um, have been fantastic. The materials that you have produced, like you said, they're they're so deeply researched, um, fully cited. They're just fabulous. And I have printed and distributed probably thousands <laughs> of your flyers um, in in this state and in other states that I have visited. It's it, we're just so grateful for the work that you guys do what a lot of people have no idea of, you know, when they hear that the science is settled, well, you know, they're not looking at all the science and, and physician for informed consent aren't bringing forward science that's like published in some strange, bizarre little journal. You're, you're publishing peer reviewed, um, you know, published science that even the CDC and the FDA and other people refer to, right. But they don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were basically, we cite the CDC's own, own sources, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the sources that are relied upon, the most authoritative stuff that's relied upon by public health authorities, we cite mm -hmm. that because that is the starting ground for consensus. And I think that's kind of what you you led with here, Bernadette, which is, you know, assuming that the other party listening is, you know, well-intentioned, well-meaning, you know, coming to them where, where they are. So creating these educational documents has been a... Uh, a very good experience just in terms of learning, but also in terms of um, sharing, you know, the, the documents themselves are so easily shareable because mm -hmm. they are so thoroughly referenced. And, you know, it's not like the citations get disputed. Or, so it's, mm -mm. it just makes it easy to share on social media. It makes yes. it easy to share with lawmakers. Yes. It comes from a starting point of consensus. And mm -hmm. then from that point of consensus, you can reach into other, uh, other points, which is where, I think a lot of uh, vaccine science uh, needs to go, you know, it needs to go into places where we talk about how vaccine injury is underreported. We need to talk about how the unvaccinated are the healthiest people on the planet. It's not even close how when you compare the vaccinated to the unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. It's like the unvaccinated are like Superman and the vaccinated are like, you know, we, as we all know, I mean, just try to find somebody who doesn't have any any conditions and they're fully vaccinated and, you know, 40 years old or 50 years old, even 20 year olds. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this, this experience is pervasive and you hear it all the time from moms who vaccinated the oldest and then decided not to vaccinate the youngest. And what do we always hear Bernadette? Yeah. Well, yeah, story, right? yeah. The oldest have health issues, chronic health issues, learning disorders and such. And the youngest are usually perfectly healthy. Exactly. Um, right. Yeah. And yeah. And I believe is, I believe somebody may be putting together a study based on those. I mean, they would be the most ideal studies, I would think, because you've got exact same environmental conditions, same food, same parenting. Exactly. The only thing would be different would be vaccine exposure. Um, really? Yeah. So it, it, you know, the, those, those, um, 
those accounts really undercut all of pharma's um, rebuttals. You know, mm -hmm. they say, well, maybe it's diet that accounts for, you know, an 80 fold increase in chronic mm -hmm. conditions. Mm -hmm. No, no, there's no diet that will, you know, cause an 80 fold increase in, you know, in, a, in chronic illnesses. You know, it's not like, oh, yeah, yeah, we all switched over to the Atkins diet and everything went away. No. Right. Yeah. doesn't happen ever yeah. in the history of ever you know it's it's not diet folks it's the vaccines and and the the unvaccinated survey the unvaccinated study proves it and that's why pharma will not study the unvaccinated you mm -hmm. know the the one thing that's really intolerable to me is the status quo this mm -hmm. idea of that we are doubling the rate of chronic illness every 12 years I think it's gotten to the point where everyone has a chronic illness. If you get vaccinated, you get injured. And, you know, I, I'm, I would love to see somebody produce to me a fully vaccinated adult with no health issues. Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll give up my telephone number. Okay. It's 239-785-8998. Go ahead and call me direct. You know, uh, the, the, the unvaccinated, what we find when we, when we survey them, what we find is that they are exceptionally healthy. They don't have any of these common conditions that if you go into, into a doctor's office, they, they already list out everything they're expecting. ADHD, asthma, allergies, autism. They want to know about digestive disorders, any heart disorder. They already know all the things to look for because they're finding it in basically everyone. Mm -hmm. But the unvaccinated don't have any of this. Well, I, I, I think when they do, hold on, hold on just one sec. So when yeah. they do, what you find is that if you survey their a little bit of health history, you can you can pinpoint where these issues are coming from. Uh, for example, when we surveyed the unvaccinated, we found that the ones that got the K shot, even though they're totally unvaccinated, mm -hmm. if they got the K shot, there is mm -hmm. a spike in their issues in chronic illness and digestive disorders and other things. Same with asthma and ADHD, there's a spike. Mm -hmm. Same for if the mother got vaccinated during pregnancy, mm -hmm. that creates a spike, including in autism. And yeah. so that, and so once those factors are, are considered, so you almost have different groups of the unvaccinated, you can, the human immune system is amazing. It is meant to thrive. And Bernadette, you and I have in common that we are both um, uh, great colleagues with Tatiana Obikanich. Mm -hmm. who has gone to exceptional length to explain how amazing our immune systems are, how mm -hmm. they are meant to function in a natural state. And what vaccines are designed to do, they are designed to alter the human immune system. And they do. Vaccines mm -hmm. cause permanent alterations to the human immune system. Mm -hmm. And that is causing this pandemic of chronic illnesses. And so that's why I am not content with the status quo. The only thing that is intolerable right is this status quo of chronic illnesses. We need to end the vaccine program. I, I agree. They need to go back to being pharmaceutical products that people could choose or not, that stand on their own for their utility or not, and the full body of science on the human immune system that is now known with, you know, how 70% of our immune system is in our gut. You know, there's just so much that we know now that they didn't know when, when the whole concept of vaccination began. And nobody ever studied to see what would happen if you interrupted 
artificially an infant's immune system at critical stages of immune and neurological development. They didn't study that. And, you know, we're really seeing the damage here. I did want to, I did want to say that I do know of, and I know that there are people out there like, you know, that are not vaccinated, that do have some of these health issues, not to the degree and, you know, amount that we're seeing in the vaccinated population uh, totally. And then, it, it, like you said, if you look, you, you may see the vitamin K, which is so hard on the liver, you know, and interrupts a lot of things at that, that first day of life, um, or the mother was vaccinated. But then there are some other environmental influences that are harming, um, you know, like, like acetaminophen given to the mother, that is very harmful as well, leading to some of these issues. So, um, and then, or acetaminophen given to the, the child in the first year or so of life is also something that is very chronically, because that's harming the glutathione and so many other Let's things. Let's talk about exact numbers though. I think it's really okay. important to always okay. talk about exact numbers. Okay, so the rate of chronic illness, mm -hmm. to, sorry, the rate of having at least one chronic illness in a fully unvaccinated individual, no K shot, no pregnancy vaccines, is 2% compared okay. to where adults and children are, which is somewhere between 60 to 80%. So that means your, your risk factor of yes. getting injured from a vaccine is above 50%. You, that, that means that vaccines are causing illness. It is, it is a vaccine injury is not rare. It's not even common. It's very common. It is more than one in 10 get a vaccine injury, which is very common according to, so, and all you have to do is just study the unvaccinated right. because it's not diet. It's not other things. It's not like proximity to 5g. I mean, that's, and trust me, you know, don't get me started on 5g, but the, <laughs> the point is that if you survey the unvaccinated, okay. Yeah. They live amongst us. It's not like they're in on, you know, like living on some remote island. They live amongst us. They right. live in the same households. They, yeah. I mean, these are they're eating the same foods that we're eating. You know, this is yeah. not isolated communities whatsoever. And no, I, I agree with you. And I, I think the thing is though, to always keep in instead of saying you will never see. Um, because I get a lot of people arguing with me and I try 2%. to get two percent. So two percent, you know, I, I always talk about the exact number. And, yeah. then, and, then, and moreover, that 2% decreases. It gets lower than 2% once you increase the number of chronic illnesses. So once you jump up yeah. to two, two chronic illnesses, what's the likelihood that you'll find two chronic illnesses in somebody totally pure and unvaccinated? Yeah, that's probably- It drops below 1%. Yeah. And once you get to five chronic illnesses, when I survey over a thousand people, mm -hmm. I get zero. Yeah. Zero. Well, I'm really, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to the the study that's going to be coming out from IPAC, the Institute for Peer and Applied Knowledge. Oh, yeah. Um, that, you know, we're anxiously waiting for. Um, it was a grassroots funded, um, fantastic study with all the T's crossed and I's dotted and, you know, very strong study. So we're really looking forward to that, the results of that coming out and, and being able to look at that. And, um, and it's not just a survey because the surveys are great. The surveys are, you know, they give you a certain amount of information, but of course the survey is just people answering questions. And the study from IPAC is actually based on medical records. So, you know, that, 
you know, you don't have the bias of somebody having recall or, you know. Um, I, I always think the surveys are, are more accurate for the reason that really? if I want to know about a child, I'm going to ask the mother rather than the doctor. The mother yeah. and the father, they know more. They know all the ins and outs. The problem is getting them to stop talking. You know, <laughs> the, the medical record yeah. is just what the doctor, you know, wrote yeah. down. And the, um, you know, no, no, not to criticize the medical right. record too much. It, it absolutely has a utility. The doctor has a place. It's well, just you know, the great, primary. Right. It seems to me that both really need to happen because some of the studies I've read over the years, what really frustrated me, and, I, and so I'm really agreeing with you here, is we're seeing they pulled like the, all the data from the insurance records, but they didn't go and ask the parents, did this happen? Is your is this, you know, where is your child now? They didn't follow up, especially the, the children who were vaccinated and not reported to have a chronic illness, but the study had ended before maybe it would have manifested. Did you go ask the parent? Right. No parents were consulted. And so you're right that sometimes you get what what's in the record doesn't reflect the reality. So maybe an ideal study would sort of have both where you've, you'd have a sampling of follow-up with, with the um, people involved who would be surveyed to see, you know, the, the health issues and, and back that up. That's exactly right. Yeah. It would have an, an audit procedure where a doctor, yeah. you know, where they just randomly select certain number of surveys and then verify the, uh, you know, yeah. the uh, quality of that data. But, the, but you know, get, getting back to the point of this vaccine program and how it even exists today without having proven safety, you know, mm -hmm. they, that, that's, that's the problem is that it was never proven to be safe in the first place. I mean, these, these vaccines, it's not like they pass some rigorous testing in order mm -hmm. to get approved. You know, back, all vaccines are experimental. You know, pharma will not admit they're experimental, but I will give you four reasons why they are experimental. Number one is that they use fake placebos. A placebo that contains neurotoxins is not a placebo. When I look up placebo in the dictionary, mm -hmm. it says an inert substance, like saline, for example, is a placebo because mm -hmm. it causes no effect. But if you inject aluminum into somebody, that's not a placebo. Mm -mm. That's a neurotoxin. And so for pharma to call that a placebo, that's lying. That's, and so that's one reason why these vaccines are not rigorously tested. Same thing for these control groups. You know, they say they, they will compare one group of heavily vaccinated people to another group of heavily vaccinated people. Five die in each group. And they say, look, it doesn't cause death. Same mm -hmm. number of deaths in both right. groups. It's like, yeah. no, you yeah. got to study an unvaccinated Control group, and then and then they lie about the definition of vaccinated. This is one of the things we found when we did a pilot survey. Mm -hmm. We found the public doesn't even know what the word means to be unvaccinated. Many people think, oh, that just means I'm missing a couple shots. No, it doesn't. Unvaccinated means you have zero vaccines. Mm -hmm. That is the definition. People. Mm -hmm. And so if and now pharma will sometimes say, well, there's completely unvaccinated, and then there's under vaccinated. Yeah, under <laughs> vaccinated. I mean, you know, but wait, yeah. I'm not bound to pharma's laws. When did pharma become my boss? They're not my boss, and yeah. you know, and, and they don't get to dictate science. They're terrible at science. They're the worst at science. They cannot even properly approve a drug. And and I've just said two things so far: fake placebos, fake controls. Okay, like uh, for example, the HPV vaccine. They mm -hmm. they will compare a group of girls. One group got four HPVs, that's the vaccinated group, and the other got three HPVs, and they say the three HPVs is unvaccinated. Really? 
Really? Three HPVs is unvaccinated? I mean, come on. I mean, tell that to a jury. Look a jury straight in the eye. And that's the problem. We don't get a jury. I got to get a jury because a jury will recognize this as common sense. They'll say, wait a second. <laughs> they, they called a girl who got three HPV vaccines unvaccinated? That doesn't seem right to me, you know? And then, and then they have these short-term testing windows. This is the third thing. You know, so-called monitoring periods of, you know, three days, five days for solicited reactions. You'll never find diabetes after three days after a shot. You know, that's a chronic condition or a heart disease or cancer, you know, or ADHD. It doesn't just pop up in three days. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the fourth one is, as we all know, the long-term passive surveillance, VAERS. VAERS, that system to, you know, catch vaccine reactions, fails 99% of the time. Anywhere on earth, if you fail at your job 99% of the time, <laughs> you get fired, mm -hmm. but not in vaccines. Vaccines get the special pass for everything. So there you have it, folks. There's your vaccinology, fake placebos, fake controls, short-term testing, and long-term passive surveillance that fails 99% of the time. When do we get to fire these guys? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm hoping the silver lining of COVID is because vaccine science is under the spotlight and the media has actually been given permission to discuss it. Um, not that you're seeing it done really well, um, but in certain areas of mainstream media, you are seeing some of the coverage and they're not liking what they're seeing. And so I think once people begin to see basically how the hot dogs are made with COVID, then they'll say, well, wait a minute, how are these others made as well? And, you know, that's when we say what you're, the problems you're seeing here right now, that's what we've been telling you for decades. That that's the problem. Too fast, you know, too much money into it, no liability, um, no long-term tests, all the same issues are happening. And, and even like, then they're not even effective. Now we're being told that none of the vaccines are going to prevent in, um, infection and transmission. You know, it, a lot like the pertussis vaccine. And so if that happens, like with the pertussis vaccine, the whooping cough, if it's not preventing you from becoming sick or infectious, it just might reduce your symptoms, maybe. Um, then of course, any protection that you had from symptoms is going to wear off fairly quickly. And it, so if it, if it does it like the way the pertussis vaccine does, it permanently skews your immune system. So you never develop a proper immune response. Mm -hmm. So it makes you a customer for life. If you yeah. don't want to experience symptoms every time, I don't know if you're, nobody's done the studies to see, like if you got vaccinated for a whooping cough in childhood, and then you don't get it again and you get whooping cough several times will your immune system be retrained to finally figure out how to fight pertussis i don't know mm -hmm. um there's just so much science that has not been done and one of the things that we need to do greg and i don't know how you do this legally because of the way that the courts tend to the information that they will rule on is we have to match laws to products law policy to products because we get legislators standing on the house floor saying grand ideas we need to protect people from disease vaccines save lives they talk at this high level of theory right of what vaccines could and should do 
And we need to bring it down to the nuts and bolts of the product. So, so the like, numbers. If you, right. I if you know the numbers, tell yeah. me exactly what is the risk of diphtheria? What is the exact calculable specific risk of mm -hmm. diphtheria compared to the diphtheria vaccine, the DTEF? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and when you do that, when you crunch those numbers, what you find is that the risk of diphtheria is infinitesimal, but the risk of the DTAP is that it causes adverse reactions and adverse events and chronic illness in greater than 50% of the public. If you get any vaccine, even one vaccine, then you're in that category of chronic illness and you are likely to develop a chronic illness. So that means that you have a trade-off, infinitesimal risk of diphtheria compared to greater than 50% chance of chronic illness for life. Now, now apply that to every vaccine, yeah. whether it is, and, and see, that's the thing. Now, where, so where can pharma prove the exact risk of the DTaP vaccine? They would have to study the unvaccinated. They would, they would they have would to have say, to. Mm -hmm. we looked at a control group of unvaccinated children. And what we found is that their levels of illness are the same as the vaccinated, which they can never do. That's why they will never study the unvaccinated. Yeah. It is the one thing pharma won't touch. In and fact, CDC they are so afraid of the unvaccinated that what they will do is they claim it's unethical to even survey them. They say, if you even see an unvaccinated person, just shoot them up right there. Just, just get them <laughs> vaccinated right, right away. Don't even let them walk yeah. away, you know, because yeah. they're a risk to others. It's outrageous. It's so unethical. It's like, it you know, my, my friend told me the other day, he's like, Greg, you know what it's like? He's like, it's like burning every heirloom seed in America and just hoping the labs got it right. You know, the GMO, mm -hmm. that, like hoping Monsanto got it right. That's insanity. That's mm -hmm. suicide. That's yeah. what's happening with these mandatory vaccine laws. Yeah. Well, you know, we're going to move to a, uh, uh, to a break here in a second. But, but first, I want to say that, you know, the 1986 law, when it passed, um, they, the Congress was really concerned about giving liability protection to the vaccine industry to, you know, they're, they have a history of not playing well and you take away responsibility, human beings do not do well and corporations really don't do well in the absence of responsibility for their actions. Yeah. And um, one of the things that was required was a, a, a vaccine um, information sheet. Actually, it was a vaccine information pamphlet that had to be developed and given to everybody before they received a vaccine. And these were 10, 12, 15 pages long. And there were 10 major areas they had to cover. And what is really missing today is some of the, what one of the things you mentioned earlier is parents are not told the risk of of not only catching the infection this vaccine targets, but the risk of having a serious outcome to that infection or even death to that infection. And they're not told the benefits of experiencing that infection in childhood. So they're not told any of that. And I'm not talking about the risk of that infection now when everybody's vaccinated for it. I, meant, I mean, like just prior to the introduction of the, that vaccine, because by that time, you know, clean water, better living conditions, better standard of living, all of that had really reduced the fatality of the um, infections that are targeted by vaccines. So you look at that number and 
anyway, all of this information is not given. People are made to fear the infection and think that the only uh, thing they can do is get vaccinated. They, they are no longer taught um, what makes true health and true uh, resilience. And so with, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, you're listening to 1150 AM KKNW uh, and Informed Life Radio. We'll be right back. Did you know that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting liability protection to drug companies for injuries and deaths caused by their vaccine products recommended to children? Did you know injuries and deaths of pregnant women and their unborn children were added to the act in 2016? Did you know that on February 4th, 2020, drug companies who make COVID-19 vaccines were placed under the liability protection of the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, known as the PrEP Act? To learn the history of how we got here in order to protect yourself now and in the future, you must see the film, 1986, The Act. Go to 1986theact.com today. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Need information about your child's vaccinations? Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization of parents, family members, medical professionals, educators, and Washingtonians from all walks of life. They believe in personal freedoms and individual choices, including healthcare choices. Their mission is to advocate for vaccine policy reform based on scientific integrity and individual health needs, to promote education about healthy immunity, and to protect informed consent and medical freedom in Washington state. To stay informed, visit informedchoicewa.org. Informed Choice Washington envisions the future where every doctor is fully trained in identifying vaccine risk factors and recognizing vaccine injury. Every child is afforded a personalized approach to disease prevention, and every parent has the freedom to make the best healthcare decisions for themselves and their families. They know every child matters. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.
We're back. You're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and with me is Greg Glaser of uh, Physicians for Informed Consent, a fantastic organization. I invite you to go check them out. Physicians for Informed um, Consent dot, is it dot com or dot org? Dot org. Dot org. Okay. Um, and you know we're we're just we're talking about vaccines, of course, here and informed consent. Let why don't we shift over a little bit to informed consent? Because, as I was saying before the break, 1986 we had a 12-page, 15-page pamphlet giving parents a ton of information. But then doctors complained it took too long to go over this pamphlet with parents, and they lobbied to get that puppy cut down to like one pagers. And at some stage, the doctors became what's known as learned intermediaries. Um, Can you explain the term learned intermediaries and what that means um, to the parent? Sure. The, The learned intermediary theory is that the doctor will assess the patient's needs and will provide the information that would be most relevant to the patient. So rather than prescribe it, rather than uh, dictating ahead of time, what information must be provided, it gives the discretion to the doctor to assess what, uh, for the doctor to assess how that uh, family would, uh, would receive the information, what information is gonna be helpful to them. And this is exactly what the pharmaceutical industry wants. They want to give because the doctors are not trained in vaccinology. We're not trained in the natural immune system and so forth. So what do you get? You just get the the slogans, you know, mm-hmm. and that and that has been a major problem uh, that these families are not getting true informed consent. What you find is that in the, the clinics, the private clinics that do offer a more uh, comprehensive informed consent process, you know, where they you know, I'm talking about the holistic doctors, you know, mm-hmm. where you go in and they basically say, well, here's the risk of measles and here's the risk of the MMR. Mm-hmm. And they will go into the numbers They'll talk about the actual risk of first off getting the measles. And second, what, you know, what is there, what's the risk of complications from the measles? For example, you know, what is your risk of seizures? You know, they might say, well, you have a five times greater risk of seizures from the MMR than from the measles. So you might say, well, gosh, I think I'd rather get the measles, right? Yeah. And I would get, and that's just one example, seizures. So you can apply that to everything. And when you apply it to everything, guess what? You're now living at your doctor's office because you will never leave. There are a million <laughs> things to consider, which is why no one ever in the history of vaccines has ever received informed consent. It is mm-hmm. impossible. There is, they, they do not have the numbers. They don't, you cannot say, here is the exact risk of the vaccine, and here mm-hmm. is the exact risk of the disease. It's just this sort of fluffy process. And so the law came up with this idea of, well, let's give them choice. You know, let's give the people choice, and we'll call it informed consent, which is this imperfect process of the doctor informing the patient and then the patient providing. Often it's like before surgery, and they'll actually write out a consent. You know, I consent to this. I've been informed of the risks and benefits, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, but that's uh, uh, that's an overview. It's you know, it's great timing to talk about this as our nation is in the the midst of this uh, election fraud, where mm-hmm. we're 
we're learning to count, aren't we? We are learning the importance of counting. You know, I think it's time to count the dead bodies. It's time to count the bodies for all of the vaccine injuries, all of the slow deaths too, because that's what cancer is. It's still, you know, just, just because a killer comes up and injects you with cancer doesn't make them less of a killer. It just makes it like a slow incendiary device. It is a, um, you know, if, if the pharmaceutical uh, industry was a person, you know, let's call it uh, Mr. V, uh, Mr. Vaccine. If he was a person and you actually got him on the witness stand, he said, how many people have you killed? Well, I don't know. It's rare. Oh, really? Is it rare? How many people have you maimed and injured, Mr. V? <laughs> it's okay. I actually do more benefit than I, than I harm people. So exactly, I want a number, Mr. V. How many people have you injured and killed? Eh, like I said, it's rare. Trust me. I'm an expert. Yeah. No, I don't trust Mr. V at all. In fact, by my own count, I count that Mr. V harms at least one out of every two people he touches. At least, and that's a minimum. I mean, you know, look at the, the 2011 health affairs assessment estimated that 43%, that's 32 million American children, currently suffer at least one of 20. Now, they, they just surveyed just 20 chronic health conditions. And that actually increases to over 50% if you count in obesity, which is associated with a whole host of other things. And not that vaccines cause obesity. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that the... The, the vaccine primes your immune system to be reactionary to the ingredients in the vaccine. And because it contains other things like neurotoxins, it makes you more susceptible to disease when it does occur, especially chronic, chronic disease, chronic illnesses. And that rate that I just cited at 2011, that was, you know, nine years ago. And, and even then in the 20, 2011, I think they were surveying previous years. So we've already, you know, we're already near that doubling rate. I mean, it's gotten to the point where, and you just, just talk to the teachers, you know, the teachers know, they see it firsthand, how many ill children there are at school. It's yeah. more than half. I would love to see a, a documentary that interviews teachers that, you know, have like 40 years, 50 years, you know, of experience that they could draw from to explain what children were like in the classroom you know, each decade and, and to see the change, you know, and I go back to my school days. So I was born in 63. So, you know, my schooling was in the, um, mostly like there in the seventies. I knew nobody with an EpiPen because EpiPens didn't exist because there wasn't a market for them, right? There was no need for them. I knew nobody with any food allergies. I didn't know anybody with asthma. I didn't know anybody with ADD, ADHD, autism, um, you know, I didn't even know these terms. I'm not even sure if some of them existed. And um, I have a dictionary from nine, it's like 19, medical dictionary about this thick from 1950s or six, early 60s. And you look up autism and it just says somebody who is self-focused, hmm. right? It's just, it's amazing how the, the changes. So I would love to see a documentary of the, of to talk about that because it's be everything is becoming normalized mm -hmm. and then it becomes invisible. Everybody thinks we found right. in our pilot survey, we found zero autism, except one case in a child where the mother got vaccinated during pregnancy. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's what you find. And, you know, I, I remember I heard about a case where a child uh, was exposed to arsenic 
and got autism. So, you know, it's, it's like it's something that can happen mm-hmm. without a vaccine. Right, you know, that's like, you know, what's the likelihood of getting exposed to a high quantity of arsenic, you know? So, you know, that it's an example that uh, pharma, what they try to do is they will try to distract from the cause. So what they do is they'll say, okay, well, we're going to study, we're going to study gender. We think maybe, maybe this chronic illness is related to gender. Say, oh, well, it looks like male and female, they both have the same number of chronic illnesses. So thanks for the money. And uh, we're glad we studied that. Or, or they'll say, uh, maybe it's maybe it's income. Oh, yeah, income disparity. That's what's causing all the chronic illnesses. And then lo and behold, the the unvaccinated, we, we know that the um, poorer people generally get more vaccines. That's just how it is. And that they the poorer will have, therefore, more issues, more chronic health issues. They're and then pharma will say, oh, well, it, this chronic, it must be a poverty thing. This is a poverty issue. Mm-hmm. How does the vaccines just serve <laughs> the poor people who didn't get vaccines, who got zero yeah. vaccines? And you will find it's not poverty. It's yeah. the vaccines. And right. so pharma is an expert at distraction. And one another thing they do is they'll stratify. What they'll do is they'll do, you know, they'll look at, you know, some, some health illness uh, issue and they'll they'll break it all down you know they'll they'll ask uh, you know 20 different confounding factors you know what's your gender what's your race what's your age you know all this stuff and then they just stratify the results to make it just kind of go away you know and it's it's a racket I don't know yeah. why we let these guys control something. It's well, you know, it it's it's big money. And so I what I would love to do, moving, you know, like for the rest the bit of the show here, I like to leave listeners on a positive note. You know, I usually start with the bad news. Um, but let's try to empower people. So really when the solution for everything, the solution for COVID. And the solution for infectious disease and pharma trying to bully you into their product, um, it's it's the same. It's education, individual education. Educate yourself completely. You have to take the time. Um, and it's really about treatments and knowing your own immune system. So like, like look at COVID. So you need to know that 99.9% of the general population fully recovers and gets natural immunity, you know, from um, an exposure to COVID. And they, you need to know that treatments exist if you do get sick. And if you're one of those who are susceptible, you need to know what the susceptibility factors are. You need to, in advance of getting sick, figure out how you may want to approach it. And there's a website, healthyimmunitynow.org, that lists um, all of the, um, most of the effective treatment protocols, um, some of the individual things that are part of the protocols, ranging from nutrient only to nutrient plus drugs. And, you know, I haven't yet to see really a fully successful treatment that wasn't that blend that didn't also didn't like have like hydroxychloroquine plus zinc, you know, um, and bringing the nutrients that the body needs. When it comes right down to it, we are creatures of this planet. We are cellular creatures. We're literally made of, of molecules and atoms 
of this planet. We are not made of things made in a lab. And if we want to heal, we need to bring into our body those things our cells are made of, you know, the nutrients and oxygen and, and you know, um, so, so self-empowerment begins with education. And the answer to any um, uh, fear of disease is to just know your immune system and know that their treatments exist. So, so, you know, you can't make any good decision, rational decision from fear, right? You, you have to let go of fear and you let go of fear with education. Fully informed consent also means you can give fully informed dissent. <laughs> That's, I mean, you know, if you're getting really, uh, you know, just fired up against the policy or just uh, refusal denial. I'm not exactly sure exact opposite of not giving consent. Um, but people often get confused. They say that the doctor gives you informed consent, but no, the doctor's supposed to give you information and you give the consent or you do not give the consent in, you know, and that's what it is. So, but like right now, it's already in California, you guys already lost religious and personal exemptions. It's, I don't know, you know, that has got to end. In Washington state, those are being threatened. We know, we know this legislative session, which begins in January here, um, they're not only going to go after because they have promised to go after our personal exemptions. We're pretty sure they're going to try to put the religious on the chopping block. They're going to use fear of disease as the motivation. There will be no discussion of the products, what they can and can't do, their safety or anything. There'll be no discussion about the fact that 99.9% .9 of people fully recover from all of these infections being targeted, especially COVID. Um, so, you know, what do we do, Greg? You know, educate and what does the law say? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, the Supreme Court agrees with you uh, that, that informed refusal is the opposite of informed consent. Informed refusal. And, and, and there, there are actually two sides of the same coin. So if, you, if you're holding a coin, you hold heads just as equally as you hold tails. It is literally in your hand. That's the same with informed consent. If you have the ability to consent, you also are holding the ability to refuse, informed refusal. And the solution is exactly what you're highlighting. You know, you've got the natural immune system. Uh, educate. And I think that ultimately, though, we do need uh, protection at a federal level from these states because, you know, these state governors, these state legislators are, are out of hand. They are steamrolling our rights. We need to stand up and stand proud as uh, and stand for the control group, the unvaccinated, which are mm -hmm. the evidence. Um, the vaccines are harming public. Vaccines are destroying this nation. Um, we don't need to uh, cower to the pharmaceutical industry and say, oh, well, we just want our rights. No, we want more than our rights. We want to expose this offense to humanity. We want to expose this crime against humanity. And, 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 uh, but I will leave you with, I think, uh, a hope, uh, a hopeful statement, uh, which is that I think everything is happening for a benefit. Um, sometimes it doesn't seem like it, when it's happening, you know, mandatory vaccination, you know, how could that be for our benefit, right? It's like when a child's riding their bike and they fall off their bike, how could that possibly be for the child's benefit, you know? I mean, the only the only real tragedy would be if the child didn't learn anything from falling mm -hmm. off the bike. You know, that's that's where the real loss is. It's the same with us in mandatory vaccination. If we did if we don't learn anything from this, if we don't learn 
what it's, you know, this is the consequence when we interfere with our natural biome, when we allow Merck to inject biotechnology into us, guess what happens? Chronic illness. Guess what happens? Loss of constitutional rights. We also nearly destroy this nation because we allowed Merck to inject biotechnology with us. We just fell off the bike. Let's learn what that feels like. And maybe we'll learn now to ride the bike better. Riding the yeah. bike means doing what you were saying, you know, natural immune system and not, not living in fear, you know, things like that. And so when it comes to the real solution here, I think that if the, there actually is a greater, a greater threat than vaccines. And you heard me say, I mean, I'm the, I'm the guy who just said vaccines are destroying this nation. And, and I'm the one also telling you that there's a greater threat than even that. And that threat is what biotech also has in store. Vaccines is just one of their technologies. They have so many things planned for us, the biotech industry. They want to alter humans. They want to transcend humans. There's a word for that, transhuman. It is crossing over from being human into being a combination of a technology and human. And biotech is the road to get there. And vaccines is just one method for them to get closer to that paradigm. And so, if we and so what I'm trying to say is that if we learn this lesson about falling off our bike, about what vaccines do to us, this is what happens when we interfere with nature. That lesson once learned, just like falling off the bike. Yeah, it's true. We skinned our knee. It sucked. But once we learn that lesson, that lesson is so valuable. We might look back on it and say, you know what? It was, we, it, it was actually worth it. Yeah. You know, because the threat was so large that it was so impending. You know, when you see what these biotech companies are doing, like with Neurolace and interfacing with the brain and like, it is so offensive, the things that they are pitching right now. If we could just learn this lesson, just learn what it feels like to yeah. fall off our bike. We well, might be able to learn how to ride. Yeah, I, I was kind of hoping that all of the draconian measures masking up populations where the science shows that masking the general population does not work, it might actually increase the spread of disease because all of the schmutz that you're touching the mask and, you know, all of the stuff that goes on with it, people's liberties were have been taken away. If you don't wear the mask, you've been you're prohibited everywhere. I thought that this might be a little wake up call for some people, you know, that this, you know, because they're, they're, they're standing for vaccines, which are also not effective as, you know, and, and come with some risks, right? So, um, but it seems like for a lot of people, it's kind of grooming them and training them to accept something that's not really supported by science and not really safe, but they're told they have to do it to be a good person. So it's, it's really weird, the, the marketing um, of all that. Um, but I'm going to set that aside because we're going to stay with the, the positive note is I feel like what we have learned is we need to protect the human right to live a completely natural life. So true. A completely pharma free life. That is our right. And we have the human inalienable right to be sick, to experience sickness, exactly. right? And, you know, the, the mark, whoever figured out what brilliant evil person figured out that, hey, there's this little time when somebody might be sick and not know it. 
And that's why, you know, that window is what's so scary. That's what got has everybody locked down now. And that's why they say you have to vaccinate because you might be sick and not know it and spreading it. You know, let's ignore the pertussis vaccine that makes asymptomatic carriers. But, you know, um, you know, so that fear of that time, but we have that right to live a completely pharma-free natural right if we choose, and we have the right to experience illness. And yes. in that in that middle ground, personal responsibility, and of course, you know, if you're sick, you stay home, you wash your hands, you know, but we cannot take all risk out of human and nor do we want to. We know if you put people in a bubble, they die. Mm -hmm. Our immune systems need a workout, right? And not the skewed workout they're getting from exposure to all those vaccines in early childhood, a real workout with the full illness because the partial illness doesn't teach your body how to clear completely, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so we have learned that from all of this, we've learned what we need to protect and who was it? Was it Mary Holland? I was talking to, I think it was Mary, um, where she said that other countries like Germany and Italy and places where you, they're getting, um, protests for the lockdowns and the masking in, in the millions. Why aren't we seeing that here? Well, our like history of the United States, we haven't experienced what they have with the tyranny and, you know, the, um, the really dangerous government experiences they've had culturally in the past. They know what it's like to live under dictatorships and communism and all the different things. But as Americans, we're kind of, we've been sheltered and cozy and we have taken for granted our freedoms you know, and we just don't quite understand how easily we can just hand them away, you know, and, and so growing pains, I guess, this is growing pains for Americans to really understand um, what freedom is and how easily it slips away and how difficult it is then to take it back once you've handed it away. Mm. Yeah, we got one more minute. Give a nice plug for physicians for informed consent last minute. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. I, I completely agree. Restoring our natural immunity. We have the right to be sick. We have the right to exercise our immune system. That is so powerful and true. So people can learn more about Physicians for Informed Consent by going to our website, physiciansforinformedconsent.org. Uh, physicians can join as doctor members. Uh, other scientists can join as well. And we also have a membership for uh, the public, uh, health freedom members, people who support health freedom. And uh, it's free. It's free, free to join. Mm-hmm. So please, please check out our website, check out our educational materials and, and share. And you can also go to our Facebook page uh, where we host a vibrant debate. That's fantastic, Greg. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I hope you'll come on again in the future and we'll talk more about these really important subjects. Thank you. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. Have a great weekend. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, 
inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at healthyimmunitynow.org. That's healthyimmunitynow.org.